You're listening to a Flawless Noises Media Network production. Quality, quality, beats, beats. Politics as usual, politics are brutal. And if you black, politics and gruesome politics are crucial. And if you white, politics are neutral, politics and fruit. And it's a fact. No matter how you look at it, politicians are freaking whack. Let's keep it real, our votes, do they even count? They giving bailouts, but guess who's getting the big amount? Who's being tricked and constantly being played with the same ones? Cops be slamming across the pavement. Why are school systems seriously being underfunded? And health care for the poor remains unwanted. Crimes with people with color don't fit the punishment. And somehow lawmakers worry about none of this. All they give us is lies and empty promises. Say one thing but continue with all the nonsense. We need to listen to someone with some common sense who understand the system. But filled with a little righteousness. Who will help feed our minds, increase our consciousness. Darren Chess is the man, he possess all of this. But this ain't that, and that ain't this. And nah, he not mad, but yes, he pissed. What's going on, people? Welcome back to another episode of I'm Not Mad, I'm Pissed. As always, I'm your host, Darren. And, <sighs> you know, I thought this episode was going to be about positivity. I, I had, a, you know, quite a few positive things to say. I wanted to go over uh, President Biden's first 100 days in office, you know, see where we're at now that we're you know four months into his administration and um getting further and further away from the disaster that was donald trump and of course as soon as i get in here get ready come in here say some good shit tell y'all about all of the good positive things going on american politics rears its ugly head and I, I guess the best way to describe it is, you know, Trump Trump called D.C. a swamp. And, and his goal was going to be to drain the swamp. But the truth of the matter is, Trump, everyone that he brought in um, during his administration, and then just the GOP collective, you know, as a whole, they're, they're a bunch of gutter swamp possums. And anytime something positive is going on or some progress is being made, they'll do everything in their power to make sure we go five steps backwards after taking one and a half steps forward. And they don't just do it in Washington, right? They do it in states across the Union. Mississippi, Georgia... Um, Wyoming, just, just states where they need as much help as they can get have suddenly decided that they don't want the help of the federal government. So I, before I get into the mess, before I go down that road, let me start off with the positive stuff that I wanted to talk about at first, right? Because Biden has been in a been in office for 100 days now and like i said a few episodes ago 
for some reason, presidents are judged by their first 100 days in office. I know it goes all the way back to um, FDR, but the, the reality is it's, it's pointless, right? It's a pointless exercise, but if you, if you, if you went on any you know, news site over the past few weeks, it talks about Biden's first 100 days in office. The majority of those days were spent trying to get his cabinet approved, right? There was a lot of drama over the cabinet because, again, Republicans are trash. I mean... The fact that he had to fight so hard for some of his cabinet picks just goes to show that this is less about governing and more about making sure that that person doesn't do anything positive. Because if they do too many positive things, we can't talk bad about them when it comes time for um, the elections next year. And then when it's time for him to run again, there, there, there won't be anything for us to smear him on. That's what American politics have has become. It's less about what can we do to help the majority, you know, the, the, the people of this country as a collective, as a whole, regardless of how they affiliate themselves politically. And how do we keep ourselves in office? And I'm going to talk about that in a little while, because I know a lot of people have been talking term limits, term limits, term limits. Personally, I'm against term limits. The reason why I'm against term limits is because I do think that the government benefits from some continuity, right? If we just turned over our government every, you know, if, I mean, let me, let me take that back. If we limited the number of times people could run, right? It would make it difficult for good politicians to have an influence. Now, I know. There's no such thing as a good politician, but there are some politicians that are as close to universally liked as a politician can get. Right. You know, out, outside of racist and um, people that hate women, Maxine Waters is as close to a universally well liked politician, at least in my circles. Um, but she is older. You know, it's I, I could look it up, but I, I believe she's in her uh, 70s, maybe even approaching approaching 80. Term limits would have had her out of office quite a while ago. Instead of term limits, though, my idea is a retirement age, right? There are companies, there are businesses, there are industries where if once you hit a certain age, you have to retire. Now, why can't we do that with the federal government? Why is there no retirement age? The fact that we have 70-year-old men and women, 80-year-old men and women making decisions for a time that they will never see has always boggled my mind. 65, most, most places force you to retire, whether you want to or not, right? Whether you want to or not, at 65, a lot of places force you to retire. Because at that point, they've decided you can't keep up anymore, right? Things are changing. They're moving much faster, much more quickly than you're able to stand. We appreciate your service. We thank you for your time. But it's time for you to get out of the way and let someone else come in and have some influence. Why can't we do that with the federal government? 
65, 67, whatever the case may be. I mean, if, if you want, don't even put a number on it. Say you can only serve for a certain number of years, right? You have minimum ages before you can run for office. Why not have maximum ages or a maximum amount of service? That's not quite a term limit, but maximum amount of service, um, maximum amount of years that you can serve in the government. So if you got to be 25 years old to run for representative seat in your state. So 65, you got to retire. You, you 30 years old um, in order to run for senator in your state. 70 years old, you got to retire. Now, president is different because presidents are term limited. They're limited to two terms. So for presidents, it really doesn't matter unless you find yourself in a situation where you're over the age of, say, 75 and you should no longer be eligible to run. You got to wait until you're 35 years old to run for president in the United States. Well, if you're 75 years old, maybe you've got to sit this one out. Your time has come and gone. Um, you are no longer eligible to run for this office. 75 years. How's that sound? Think about what our election would have looked like last year had there been a 75 year max on <laughs> who could run for president we'd have had two different nominees we would have had two completely different nominees that in and of itself says a lot right i think that in and of itself just shows us that it's time to do something different. It doesn't have to be anything drastic. You know, it doesn't have to be anything out of the woodworks, but why not a maximum age? I mean, it's, it's good for every other industry. Why isn't it good for the federal government? The truth of the matter is, once you've gotten to that point in your life, don't you just want to be home anyway? Or is it about something else? Is, is, is it about something else that draws you to that grasp at power that makes it so you're 75, 80 years old still running the government? It's a rhetorical question because we all know the answer. But I think that's a better idea than um, term limits. Term limits, I just, I don't know. It, uh, I, I, don't, I just don't like the idea. And that could change, right? That, that, that could change. I could change my mind on that. But right now, I'm more in, inclined to set an age cap where, you know, after a certain age, based on the eligibility um, of running for that position, you're, you're capped out and you can, no longer, you can no longer run for that position. I mean, in a way, I guess it is term limits, but you know, it's, it's a little bit different, I think. Um, so that's just an idea. But back to Joe Biden, Joe Biden's first 100 days. Um, the truth of the matter is a lot of, a lot of his focus during that first 100 days, we knew it was going to be on 
you know, the COVID-19 pandemic response, right? We knew coming in that he needed to spend as much time as possible and do as much as he could to change the trajectory of where this country's COVID response was going. After Trump lost the election, he decided, fuck it, I'm not going to work anymore. I don't know if y'all remember, but when they would make his schedule public after the election, because, you know, just because the election is in November, you're not done being president until January. But he decided that he wasn't working anymore. Y'all didn't vote him back in to office, so fuck y'all. I ain't doing nothing for y'all. So his schedule would come out, and it would say the president would be taking many calls, sending many emails, and having many meetings over the course of the day. That was his schedule. His, his, his publicly released schedule every day. Many phone calls, many meetings, uh, sending many emails, and whatever else he was doing. Basically, he wasn't doing no work. He had given his notice. He knew when his last day was going to be. And he said, fuck that. I'm not doing shit else for these people. So we knew coming in that the Biden administration was going to have a lot of work to do. It was going to be a lot on their plate in order to get COVID under under control. Because remember, in January, we're surging at that point. You know, the, the number of cases are going up and the number of people being vaccinated is going down. We were going in the wrong direction. So, one of Biden's goals was 100 million vaccine shots within the first 100 days. He doubled that. 100 million vaccine shots within the first 100 days. He doubled that. It was something around 219 million or something like that. Now, that doesn't mean there's 200 million people who have been vaccinated. It just means those are the number of shots. So, you know, if you um, Pfizer or Moderna is two shots, Johnson and Johnson's only one shot. And I don't think they've brought that one back yet. So the goal was to get 200, I mean, excuse me, 100 million shots, which would be 50 million people vaccinated. And he did that. You know, he did that. The other big important thing was for his stimulus bill to be passed. And he came out the gate with a $1.9 trillion stimulus bill that he sent to Congress. And Congress passed a $1.9 trillion stimulus bill. Now, he didn't get everything that he wanted in the package. Um, part of one of the big things that was part of that package was the raising of the minimum wage to $15 an hour. That didn't happen, right? Um, one of the reasons why that didn't happen is because Joe Manchin's a bitch. I'm just going to say Joe Manchin's a bitch. Um, Joe Manchin has decided he is going to single-handedly force Joe Biden to compromise everything he wants to do in the name of bipartisanship. Joe Manchin has decided that it is his role to thwart everything Joe Biden wants to do just so he can say we worked with some Republicans. But we know the Republican MO, right? We know the Republican MO. 
McConnell has made it very, very clear that he has no interest in working with Democrats. He doesn't care if it means people will go without health care, if there will be a vacancy on the Supreme Court, if people, you know, have COVID, get sick and die. He does not care about what happens to the people in this country if it means he has to work with Democrats. And so we have to ask ourselves, why do we keep allowing these old white men to have our lives in their hands? Because we vote for them, we elect them, we send them to Washington to work together to to do something for the greater good And a senator in Kentucky, a state that has less people than some cities in this country, can hold up legislation to benefit 300 million people, all because he doesn't want to work with Democrats. That shit is wild. And Democrats who now have the power to do more rather than just go on going on and, and doing the things that they know is popular, doing the things that they know the people want them to do. This one sen- senator from the armpit of America has decided he's not going to vote with his party unless they concede some shit to Republicans. Knowing, knowing that Republicans not only refuse to concede, they refuse to even negotiate in good faith. In the first 100 days, Joe Biden has proposed two, no, excuse me, three major pieces of legislation. The COVID relief bill got passed, $1.9 trillion. And now he's introduced two separate infrastructure plans. Two separate infrastructure plans to help build up the infrastructure in this country. The first plan was about the physical infrastructure, your roads, your bridges, you know, your... your um going green, you know, putting putting more electric vehicle chargers in the country. Um giving giving money to Amtrak. You know, money for states for broadband. Healthcare infrastructure. You know, educational infrastructure, all of these different things to help benefit and build up this fucking crumbling nation. Oh, no. Mm-mm. No, we can't do that. We, 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 can't, we can't do that because Joe Manchin doesn't believe that any Republicans will agree to pass this legislation because of the price. They're turned off by the price. So because they're turned off by how much it's going to cost, We need to go back to the drawing board is what he's telling the president and come up with a number that's more palatable to them.
But 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 these instances aren't without precedent. Remember, there was a president one time about 10, 11 years ago. Black guy, his name is escaping me right now. Um, but there, I've, I've, there was a president one time who wanted to pass a health care bill. He wanted to pass a health care bill so all the uninsured Americans could have health care. And Republicans didn't like that idea. They didn't like how much it was going to cost. They didn't like his plan for the bill. So they wanted to make some changes. Like They refused to vote for it without making some changes. And you know what that president did? That president let them make some changes. He let them amend his bill to the point that he no longer recognized it as the bill he sent them. And you know what happened? That bill passed without one Republican vote. If you don't believe me, please go look up how the ACA was passed. Please go look it up. The bill that ended up being signed into law by President Obama was not the original bill that they wanted. And the reason why that wasn't the bill that got passed was because Republicans said, if you don't make changes, if you don't put these changes in there, we're not going to vote for the bill. So they put the fucking changes in there. That individual mandate, that was a Republican idea. Guess what happened? Go on. Guess what happened? Not one Republican voted for the shit anyway. So there's precedent that Joe Manchin can go and look at and say, you know what? We tried this one time. We tried this one time and that shit blew up in our face. How many how many times are you going to let them pull the football away, Charlie Brown? How many times? At what point do you decide to get somebody else to hold the fucking football? So I'm gonna give I'm gonna give Joe Biden credit for two things. One, he has absolutely sent the legislation that he wants passed to Congress. Absolutely, absolutely done that. And he's also offered to work with Republicans. But the second thing that I'm gonna give him credit for that I can't give that other president credit for president Obama is because he's willing to go it alone, regardless of how it looks, knowing he said he wanted to bring bipartisanship back to Washington, but he's not going to let them hold his agenda hostage. And I can appreciate that. Now that doesn't necessarily mean he's going to get everything that he done that he wants done passed, but I can appreciate knowing that this shit might not work and I might have to go it alone. And coming being being bold enough to come out and say that. One of the biggest criticisms criticisms I have of President Obama is he spent too much time trying to reach across the aisle. 
he, he, he spent too much time. And by the time he had decided to go it alone, it was too late. By the time he decided to go it alone, it was too late. And that's why Trump and his cronies and Mitch McConnell and his cronies spent four years trying to erase everything that that black man did as if he was never in office. If you don't believe me, go back and, and look at some of Trump's executive orders. A bunch of Trump executive orders was just to do undo as much of Obama's um, successes as he could. So the fact that Joe Biden has decided that he's not going to allow Mitch McConnell and the GOP to hold him hostage, I can com commend him for that. But at some point, he's going to have to tell Joe Manchin to put up or shut up. And he's going to have to publicly call him out. Because I'll be damned. And, and this is if I'm Joe Biden at this point. I'll be damned if I let a senator from West Virginia of all places make it so that I can't pass my legislative agenda. Not when the people of West Virginia are going to benefit <laughs> more than a lot of other folks. See, politicians in, in red states like West Virginia and Mississippi, I've come to the conclusion that they just hate people. You know, as part of that COVID relief package that, um, that Congress signed earlier this year, Part of that, they were able to give people 300 extra dollars in unemployment benefits. 300 extra dollars, unemployment benefits. The governor of Mississippi decided that the people of Mississippi don't need that money anymore. Why? Because <laughs> there's a rumor going around that businesses aren't able to find workers because people are refusing to work because they're getting free money from the government. So in an effort to force people back to work, he's decided that Mississippi doesn't need that money from the federal government that gives everyone an extra $300 per month, I mean, excuse me, per week in unemployment benefits. Now, if anyone knows anything about Mississippi, you know that the people are poor. They have one of the worst education systems and they get some of the most help from the federal government. I read that Mississippi unemployment benefits without the extra $300 run between $185 and $510 per week. 
wanted to let that sink in for a second. If you lost your job in Mississippi through no fault of your own, and you had to file for unemployment, you're going to get between 185 and $510 per week. And I could be off by 50 or so dollars in either direction. Let's say on the low end, you're getting $200 a week. Just to round up. I know it's not that much, but just to round up and not be a complete asshole about it. Let's say you're getting $200 a week. $200 a week. I don't give a damn where you live. $200 a week is not enough money to cover anyone's expenses. Not not just of a family of four as you know all of these um you know all all of these budgetary gurus and all of these people you know not not a family of four they always like to use the family of four right two bedroom for a family of four and you know groceries for a family of four whatever the case may be not for a family of four two hundred dollars a week isn't enough to cover the expenses of a single person There is nowhere in this country where you can live off of $800 a month. So, so, Mississippi has decided that there is so much work out there We don't need these unemployment benefits anymore because people were making more money on unemployment than they were at their jobs. This is the argument from business owners, Republicans, people that can't find folks to come to work. And I know there's a lot of opinions on this. Right, I know there are a lot of opinions on this topic. I know there are a lot of people who are going to disagree with me on this topic. And that is fine. That is fine. I had a conversation with a good friend from high school the other day about this. He he owns a few restaurants. And, you know, he and I had a nice conversation about, you know, not being able to find people to work. He's a good guy, don't get me wrong. I'm sure he's a he's a great boss and everything, but people who work minimum wage jobs are some of the most underappreciated people in this country. And that was before the pandemic. Oh. Oh, y'all thought the pandemic was over. Oh, y'all thought because people were getting vaccinated and, um, you know, governors and the CDC was saying that 
oh, y'all don't got to wear masks no more, that the pandemic was over. I'm sorry, but the CDC don't run nothing in this house. Uh, we will continue to wear our mask. We will continue to socially distance ourselves. And when I'm out in public and I've got my mask on, continue to give me six feet. I don't give a damn what the CDC said. So, people are operating as if the pandemic is over, and it's not. It is not over. But see, for some of you who have been out here living carefree lives since last Memorial Day, y'all don't get to see it from the perspective of other people. You don't look at it from the perspective who may be of a person who may be immunocompromised or who may have people that they're taking care of that can't get the vaccine. Not to mention, even before the pandemic, you guys treated customer service reps and waitresses and your delivery drivers and the folks, you know, that handle your food. You treated, you know, the, the people at your local grocery store, you treated them like shit then. Where you've got people coming into establishments attacking staff because they don't want to pull up their mask. And you guys expect these people to want to come and work for pennies? I'm sorry, but no. No, absolutely not. I don't blame anyone who has decided that they're not going back to that job that didn't give a shit about them last year laid them off, not caring about how they were going to pay their bills or anything like that. And now you're struggling to find people to work these shifts for the pennies on the dollar that you were paying them. And then you want to blame unemployment for making people not want to work. I'm going to let y'all in on a little secret. People that got to get up and go to work every day. They didn't want to work back when they had to before the pandemic. No one who go gets up every day to, to go to work for somebody else. Especially in a service industry. No, no one wants to do that shit every day. We do it because we have to. We do it because it's required of us. People that are getting unemployment are getting unemployment because they lost their job through no fault of their own. You can't get unemployment if you just up and quit your job. There are very few instances where you can get unemployment after you've quit your job.
It has to be for an extreme reason for a person to be able to get unemployment after they quit. So stop talking to me like I'm stupid. No one went up, got up this morning, went to work and said, you know what, I'm going to quit and it, because I can get an extra $300 in unemployment. No one did that. If people are collecting unemployment, it's because they were laid off. They lost their job through no fault of their own. If people aren't rushing back to work, it's for a reason. Being lazy is at the bottom of that list. But see, that's what we like to do to poor people or working class people as, as um, you know, Republicans like to call them when they need them for votes. Any other time, they poor folks. But when they need them for votes, they working class people. Well, that's what America like to does, like, likes to do to the working class folks, right? We like to call them lazy. We like to tell them they haven't earned their place in life. We like to tell them they don't work hard enough. And that's the reason why they don't have anything. We remind them over and over and over that they're in the positions that they're in in life through their own fault. They're struggling because of themselves. And the reason why they can't do any bit, anything better, because of affirmative action or, or you know, non-documented workers. Never stopping to think, what can I do to attract more people? What can I do to show the people that do come into work for me that I value them? That I value what they bring to my business? That I value the money they help make me? See, we don't ever think about it from that perspective. And why is that? Because they're expendable. They're expendable. Amazon, Walmart, you know, all these big box stores, they made bank during the pandemic. They're not out here rushing to give nobody raises, make working conditions better. Do you know how many stories have come out about the working conditions in Amazon warehouses? The other day, I saw a commercial, an Amazon commercial, talking about how great their workers have it. And I was like, that's odd as hell. Why would they even show this commercial? Come to find out, workers were talking about unionizing. Oh, now that makes sense. Now that makes sense. We don't want folks unionizing. Unions are bad. Unions cause trouble. You ever notice how Republicans hate unions? They're supposed to be the party that is pro-people's rights, yet they, they hate unions. And the power that unions give the average worker.
Go look up all of the Republican governors who have decided that they don't want the federal um, unemployment benefits anymore. Go look up what states those governors come from. And then after you do that, go look up how much federal money those states receive. For all of this shit that, you know, people talk about California. California contributes a lot more to this to this country than some of these other pull yourself up by your bootstrap states. So it's 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 real amazing to me how we can in one breath vilify the very people that we need in order so this country doesn't come to a standstill. A year ago at this time, we were calling those folks who get up every day to go to work at your local restaurant, your um, supermarket and such. They was heroes. Remember all of those companies making um, making commercials with folks in the neighborhood cheering them on after they got up and went to work every day because they couldn't work from home? Remember those commercials? The feel-good stories about the heroes that's your neighbors that's making it so that people can still get the stuff that they need in the middle of this pandemic? And a year later, y'all calling them lazy? Don't want to work no good because they getting more money on unemployment after y'all laid them off. But they're the problem. Those folks are what's wrong with this country if you let some people tell it. So that's why I can't really rock with the business owners on this one. And I know quite a few. And I and I and I just can't do it. Not when not when these people risk their lives every day. Not knowing what COVID is, not knowing how it was being uh, transmitted before everybody had PPE. They was giving, getting up and to go to work every day until they got laid off or got sick and don't have any sick time. Don't have any health insurance. Don't have child care. I refuse to vilify people um, who who get up every day to do the best that they fucking can in this country that keeps its foot on the necks of folks that don't make much money. I'm going to transition a bit because <sighs> the GOP is such trash. Some business owners are trash too, and I can talk about them for another 30 minutes, but I gotta. I, goodness. You ever. You ever have somebody that you don't really care for? You don't particularly dislike them, but you, you know, they're not, you don't necessarily like them either. You're like, you don't rock with them. You just, you just don't care for them, right? And then someone goes and does something and makes you now I have to stick up for this person that you don't care for. 
And that's, that's, that's the dilemma that I find myself in because I'm in a position where I'm forced to stick up for Liz Cheney, Representative Liz Cheney of Wyoming, because the GOP is just a dumpster fire. Now, for those of you who don't know, Liz Cheney is the at-large United States representative from the state of Wyoming. Wyoming is so populous that they get two senators and one whole representative. That's right. One representative to represent the entire state's interests. Why do they have two senators? Conversation for another day. If they're especially since they're only getting one representative, but I don't have time to go into all of that right now. If her name sounds familiar, it's because her dad was vice president for eight years. Liz Cheney is the daughter of Dick Cheney. Dick Cheney is probably top three worst politicians ever in this country and this is a country born of slavery so the fact that dick cheney is top three politicians worst politicians ever tells you all you need to know about him now i'm not gonna make the daughter pay for the sins of the father however liz cheney voted for donald trump liz cheney supported and empowered donald trump so she is part of the problem with the GOP. She doesn't, you know, she doesn't get to remove herself from the rest of her colleagues just because after January 6th, when Trump sent them folks up the hill to start, you know, assassinating folks, she called him out for it. And then she voted for his impeachment. Great. That is awesome representative cheney you were doing your fucking job i appreciate you for that not gonna applaud you but i appreciate it she was one of 10 republicans who voted to impeach the president well you know the guy who's president at the time since then she's she, she's been treated almost as a hero by some people because she did what the fuck she was supposed to do. Like, it, voting to impeach a president who had already lost the fucking election doesn't take courage. Like, it was, she had nothing to lose. None of them did. There was, there was literally nothing for her to lose by voting to impeach Donald Trump. So I'm not about to sit here and pat her on the back because that's a fucking easy call to make. Now, four months later, she finds out that there was something for her else to lose. She was the number three ranking um, member in the GOP caucus. And a few days ago, they voted her out of her leadership position. Why? (sighs) 
I can't even believe I'm about to bring myself to say this. Oh, gosh. She was voted out of her leadership position because she voted to impeach Donald Trump and then wouldn't lie and say that the election was stolen from him. Now, it's it's a little bit more complex than that, but at its core, that's what it all boils down to. She wouldn't jump on the bandwagon and say that Donald Trump lost the election due to fraud, and then she voted for his impeachment. And so because she wouldn't participate in this lie that the GOP is trying to sell to the American people, she was removed from her leadership position. And so for the past week, as they've, you know, geared up for this vote on her removal, I've had to read think piece after think piece about how courageous Liz Cheney is in the face of adversity within the Republican Party because she's refusing to go along with the big lie. Do you understand why I'm pissed off right now? Has it has it clicked in yet? Because now I'm forced to sit here and give this person who I otherwise would ignore some positive encouragement and reinforcement because the rest of the swamp possums are just a little bit dirtier than she is. So so because she decided that she wasn't going to let this person who is no longer in office control and dictate how she governs for the people of Wyoming, she was removed. So think, think about that for a second, though, because it's bigger than Liz Cheney. The GOP is telling you. They're, they're telling you ahead of the 2022 midterm elections that this is the, the, the this is the direction that we're going. We're going to feed you the bullshit. And we're going to convince you that the election was stolen from the people that you voted for. That's why all across the country... Republican state legislatures are passing voter laws, not just voter ID laws, but voter restriction laws to make sure that they can steal the midterm elections. Those same legislatures, they get to draw the political maps So they can make it so that it's harder and harder for Democrats to get elected. Do you, do you, do you see why this is bothersome? It's bigger than Liz Cheney. It's not even really about Liz Cheney. It's about the fact that we allow these people And the reason why I say we allow is because most of these folks 
are no more qualified than any of you listening to this podcast to run for these positions. But we allow these people to not only rig the game, but then feed us the bullshit that they want to feed us as if we didn't see what happened. Not only did Trump lost, he really, he got his ass whooped. But then the sore losers attacked the United States Capitol. Let's just call it what it is. They attacked the Capitol in an attempt to kidnap, maim, kill, torture, I don't know, the people inside who would not do what their leader called them to do. If for one second you think no harm would have come to any of those um, politicians in that building voting, you are seriously mistaken. And so because Liz Cheney wouldn't go along with the bullshit, they made her somehow the the, the scapegoat <laughs> and the reason for all that they've got going on. Now, they took the time to vote her out of her leadership position Yet no one has said anything about Representative Matt Gates of Florida who's being accused of human trafficking and statutory rape, if I'm not mistaken. That story should be much, much bigger than Liz Cheney not drinking the Donald Trump Trump. Donald Trump, no, I didn't mean that. <laughs> the Donald Trump Kool-Aid. But they're not talking about that at all. In fact, they're pretending that that didn't happen. When asked about it, um, Leader McCarthy said, I don't know anything about that. This is that throw, throw the rock and hide your hand bullshit that I've been talking about. And this is this is why voting isn't just enough. We we can't we can't just vote because a lot of times we're voting for for people that we we probably wouldn't vote for, but they're the only ones on the ballot. This is why I'm going to continue to call out millennials. It's it's time to run for these offices. Grandma and grandpa need to be retired. And then for, for, for those who are in our age range and just think opposite of us, make them work for it. Make them work for it. No, nobody should ever run unopposed. Ever. No one should ever run opposed. Even if, even if that's the person I would vote for, they shouldn't run all unopposed. They should be forced to tell you their ideas and then have those ideas challenged by someone else. It's going to be an uphill battle come 2022 midterm elections, but we need more people who have the greater good in mind 
and and who's who's willing to roll up their sleeves and actually make the sacrifice and represent their people in Congress or in the state legislature or on your local city council, whatever the case may be. But we need good people in politics because right now we don't have that. There are very, very few good people in politics. So with that being said, I'm going to end talking about one of my favorite people, a person that I know to be a good person. Felicia Rashad is, I don't don't even know what words I should use to describe her. Um, There was a conversation on Twitter the other day about who is America's favorite sitcom mom. And I mean, is there any doubt that it's Claire Huxtable? Don't get me wrong. There are a lot of good sitcom moms. However, Claire Huxtable really in a lot of ways set the standard. And I've said this before, and I will argue this for the rest of my life. Claire Huxtable was a much more important character than Bill Cosby. But in in having this conversation about, you know, greatest sitcom mom of all time and all of this stuff. Someone made a statement that troubled my soul and, and the soul of a lot of other people. And I'm going to just read it. Claire Huxtable, fictional character, by the way, was an enabler of the longest and, mo- and most prolific drug, drug rape predator in U.S. history, Bill Cosby. Everyone on set knew he was a, knew he was a sadistic predator. Everyone. 75 women drugged and raped by Cosby, and he got away with it because of enablers. That post was made by Lisa Tolnage. And I don't really know who this person is, but she made herself famous by making that post. First of all, Claire Huxtable is a fictional person. Claire Huxtable only exists in TV land. Felicia Rashad... The real person, the person that played Claire Huxtable, is not responsible for the actions of one Bill Cosby. It's insulting and offensive to suggest that a woman he worked with, and we know that their relationship only existed on the screen, is somehow responsible for his actions as a grown man away from their place of employment. I mean, he had a whole wife and I don't hold her responsible either. The responsibility of his actions belongs solely to him. I mean, that's it. But to but to but to try and attack Felicia Rashad because you have an issue with Bill Cosby is just wrong. It's just wrong. Um, a lot of people 
came to her defense because a lot of people were offended by that statement as they should be. I don't know if that person, you know, apologized or later recanted or maybe just deleted their social media profile. Who knows? But it got me to thinking of how often we try and um, place the blame on, you know, any and everyone other than who it actually belongs to, you know, and don't get me wrong. I understand and get that Bill Cosby hurt a lot of people. But that's the fault of Bill Cosby. And that's why he's in jail right now where he should be. Blaming his, you know, his his co-workers or or staff, not even knowing if they knew what was going on, I, I think is just wrong and counterproductive. So that was trash. But in better news. Um, Felicia Rashad was appointed the Dean of Fine Arts at Howard University. Um, I really do got to get some sound effects because that that deserves a round of applause. To have a person like her in that position, um, encouraging and helping mold, um, you know, the next generation of actors and entertainers, I think, is just going to be a phenomenal experience for those students. Um, remember, Chad Boswick said that it was her reaching out to her network of friends to have students um, tuition in some program in London. I can't remember what the program was off the top of my head. But having her reach out to her network of friends to get their tuition paid is you know, how he ended up continuing with acting and and becoming the phenomenal actor that he was. So to have a person with her knowledge, her experience, and then her network, I can can only see that as being positive um, for those students. So congratulations to her. That is an amazing, amazing feat. Um, and congratulations to those students who now get to say and flex that, you know, Felicia Rashad is the dean of their college. That's going to wrap it up for this week. I really hope there's there's more positive <laughs> that we can talk about next time. Um, hopefully they get their act together in Washington I know that there's some um, judge nominations coming up. We still gotta gotta see what's gonna happen with this infrastructure bill. Um, and I didn't even get to talk about the um, the issue with the undocumented. I'm sorry, the unaccompanied minors at the border, um, and and what we're doing about that. So it's it's a lot going on in the world right now. It's a lot happening in this country and we just need to keep our eyes open. We need to keep our eyes open. Um, I'm going to let you know right now they are already starting to um, talk primaries for next year. There's going to be quite a few very interesting races. Um, There are a lot of Senate seats up for grabs that could flip and Democrats could either extend their lead or Republicans can you know, take back control. So it's going to be really interesting what happens over the next few months as people decide whether or not they're going to um, run for Senate or governor of their state. So 
keep your eye out on all of that and we will talk about the um, major races as they uh, tend to the candidates um, tend to become more clear so until next time y'all be easy take care of yourselves and wear your goddamn mask if you're not going especially if you're not going to get vaccinated quality quality beats beats beats